I hope you all realize that I don't pick the readings. So the church picks the readings, and then the church is like, okay, priests, preach on that. So <laughs> approaching today's readings, I, I got to preach on it. I don't want to. I'd rather preach about puppy dogs and rainbows, but we've got to admonish the sinner. So that's what you're going to get. So let's begin this way. The, uh, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. There, God doesn't change, right? God reveals himself differently at different times, but God is the same. So God is a God of law and a God of love. He is both. And law and love are not opposed to each other. We sometimes conceive of it that way, as though um, law is something which is meant to restrict my freedom, and that's a bad thing. The idea is that, you know, unlimited freedom is a good. Well, it's actually not a good, right? Even in a uh, uh, social contract society like we have, there's always a limitation of freedom, um, because the limitation of freedom protects other people's freedom. So with God, then, telling us about, you know, or giving us law, uh, delivering law to us, it's meant to be an act of love. As a parent, you don't teach your children the right way to do things because you don't love them. You do it because you love them. And the Jews themselves received God's law as an act of love. Lord, I love your commands more, than, more precious than gold. Lord, I love your commands. The Jews loved that they had received the commands. They understood that they were an act of love from God because God took interest in them, told them how to live rightly, told them how to live and, and actually prosper as human beings. It does make sense that the one who made us knows how we will flourish the best. It just makes sense. Now, I have the unenviable unenviable task of being the guy who has to remind you of that. That's my job. You know, it's, it's not my job to judge you. I, I don't have any desire to judge you, but it is my job to remind you of what God has said. And this is not just, you know, myself who is reluctant. Remember, the prophets of old were very reluctant. Remember Jonah? God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them how they're sinning. And he's like, no way, I'm out of here gets on the ship, gets thrown in the water, swallowed by a fish, vomited on the beach. And he's like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> then he went, and then he went, it's such a funny story. So then he goes, and he tells him to repent, you know, and he's like just expecting that they're going to, because they would just kill prophets or mistreat them, abuse them. Because, you know, people love to be told when they're wrong, right? It's not changed in centuries. So, uh it's a funny story because he goes to Nineveh and he tells them to all repent. And they did. They all repented. And so God spares them. And then Jonah's mad about it. He's mad that God spared him. He's mad that they repented. Anyway, that's a whole other homily, but it's fascinating. Um, okay, so let's, let's go back to this. So admonishing the sinner is an obligation. Let's get right, though, about what Jesus is saying and what the Old Testament reading is saying as well. We're talking about sin. We're not talking about affectation. We're not talking about opinions. We're not talking about complaining about somebody else. We're not talking about just, you know, things that we don't like about another person. That's not what it is. It's about sin. So it's about violation of God's law 
which is in itself an injustice, either an injustice to another person, as, as uh, Jesus talks about it, if your brother sins against you, that's a, an injustice uh, toward you. And all sin, of course, is an injustice towards God, right? So that's what we're talking about. That's what he's talking about. Sin, specifically when somebody is sinning and we see it, we are to, you know, admonish them and tell them. Why? Because we want to be judgmental. No, we're not judging them. Saying that something is a sin is not judging the person. It's looking at the action and saying, God has revealed that that is not right. And you need to know because then you have the ability to repent and come into deeper relationship with God, particularly if you've sinned against me, you know, an individual kind of thing. So let me uh, give a couple of examples, which will make me uh, the most unpopular person in this church. Uh, But I do it because I love you. So I'm going to bring these two out. And first, I'm going to start with the children. So children, little children, little, little children, bigger children, teenagers, and, you know, older. One of the most important commandments, perhaps the most important commandment that God wants you to follow right now is number four, honor your father and mother, which means obey them. This is incredibly important to God. And there's all kinds of reasons why, and and I I don't want to go into that because it's too much for you right now. But God desires for you to obey your parents until you're liberated. What does that mean? Well, until you're on your own. This is why you need to move out of your house as soon as possible. (laughs) So when you're little, little, now it doesn't matter. Even if you're little, obedience is hard. It is hard. And as you get bigger, it gets harder and harder. So then when you become a teenager, it's almost impossible. It's incredibly difficult. And we know that because we've all been teenagers. Your parents know that as well. It, it's part of this whole growing older thing, gaining freedom, uh, wanting more independence, and all the, and it's always messy. It's just always messy. But nonetheless, obedience is the pathway to more freedom. That's why God wants everyone to learn obedience. Because it's, it's through that obedience that actually your parents will give you more freedom. The better you are at respecting their rules... And the more you cherish that law, the more blessing they will give you. And the older you get, what you want is more freedom. And that makes sense. And it's right that your parents would do that. And in every family, that's a, and and each child is a little bit different. But, um, you know, it's messy. It's just messy. And that's okay that it's messy. But you need to know children and teenagers and, you know, those of you still living at home that this really matters to God. Once you're out, once you're liberated, no longer do you have to obey your parents. And that's important for your parents to know too. Once they're liberated, obedience is not demanded. Honor is demanded by the fourth commandment, but obedience is not. No longer must your children be obedient to you. It's good for the children to know that and for the parents to know that. So that's the kids. Kids, don't worry, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be tougher on your parents. Parents, when you baptized your children, you promised God, you promised God in the presence of a deacon or a priest 
that you would raise your children according to the law of Christ and his church. If you were married sacramentally, you made that promise also. You made the promise. I didn't make the promise. I'm reminding you of the promise you made. And you made that to God. And it's very, very serious. And raising them according to the law of Christ and his church begins with, well, I mean, I suppose we could, we could debate on where it begins, but it certainly includes teaching them the commandments and bringing them to church. This is a law of God, to which all of you are saying, Father, we're here. We're at church. Why are you getting on us? You're not always here, and I know it. <laughs> and here's the thing. I love you anyway. I love you anyway. I get it. Life happens. But the law is the law. And I have to remind you of it. It's my job. And you committed yourself to it. And so there are times where our freedom is legitimately legitimately prohibited. And I don't mean we want to sleep in. I mean, you know, you're at the bottom of the Grand Canyon and there's not a church, right? Or other such things. When freedom is... is, uh, legitimately impeded illness or otherwise, yeah, you you don't have to get to church. But otherwise, it's a sin against your children and God to not bring them to church. It is your job that you freely chose. It is your job to raise your children Catholic. It's not my job. It's not the deacon's job. It's not the parish catechist's job. We help. Absolutely, we help. We love your kids. We do love your kids. We try to create an atmosphere that's very engaging. I was just talking to some kids uh, who recently, I've known the family a long time, but they recently started attending here, uh, and they're just little ones. And they said, you know why I love this church better than the other one? I said, because I'm here? He said, no. (laughs) I've known him for like 30 years, but um, he said, no, because we get donuts. And I said, that's right. And Father knows that you love donuts even more than you love him. So, you know, we do, we do try to create a community that's engaging and, and something that's uplifting, et cetera, right? Because we have a part to play in that. We want to make it easier for you. But nonetheless, it's your obligation. And one of the reasons I'm bringing this up to you parents, particularly those of you who are younger parents, is because now that I've been a priest for 24 years, I have heard so many confessions of parents who are older lamenting They did not do enough. They look back on their lives and they see what's going on with their children, which they're not happy about, and they blame themselves for not having done enough. I I don't know if that's legitimate blame or not, but they certainly feel guilty, and it's widespread. And so parents, that would be a... I mean, you know, an, an older parent is looking into eternity and understanding maybe they had failed in some ways. And no single parent, no parent is going to be perfect, of course. But keeping God's laws, keeping his commandments, and teaching your children to do so, and showing them what that looks like, putting first things first, and there's no greater first thing than God, will change your children's lives. So I'm merely reminding you, I'm encouraging you, right? I mean, if you're a if you're sort of vacillating in your, your mass attendance, you're kind of up and down, it's a reminder that, yes, God imposes law, but not because he wants to enslave us, but because he wants to set us free. He knows he created us, and he knows that it is right for the creature to worship him. 
one day a week at least. He made the Sabbath for us because it's good for us to worship, right? It rightly orders our lives. Okay, so now that I've hit upon everybody, let's, let's move this a little bit further. When my brother sins against me, so now let's talk about the relationship of sinning against another and, and what Jesus is talking about. How do, how do we deal with that? Okay, now normally in, in human relations, friendships and, and, and families, when somebody does something wrong to another person, you kind of, you realize it, you apologize, you forgive, and that's the normal course of things. And it ought to be, that's the good. That's, you know, each person's seen how they've contributed to something happening to the relationship. And so mutual forgiveness occurs. That's ideal. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes somebody sins and either doesn't care that they sinned or is perhaps unaware um, of what they've done for for whatever reason. Um, And then what the Lord is saying is there's an obligation to tell the person that they're sinning. There's an obligation that they know that they've done something wrong. And so you're to go to them. You know, I think this, this is pretty wise here personally. I mean, it's scripture. It's Jesus' words. It ought to be. You go to them directly and you tell them, hey, you sinned, which was an offense against God, but an offense against me. And it was an injustice. It was an actual sin, a violation of a commandment. You need to know that. Now, why do we say that to them? To make them feel bad? No. To ideally help them come to conversion, you know, the ability to recognize what they've done, and then they can, they can seek forgiveness from God and from you, right? It, bring, it potentially also heals the relationship and maybe even moves the relationship in, into a better place. Now, the Lord says that, because he's aware, right? He knows how this works, that not every time will, will somebody listen to you. So maybe you get another friend then, and you, you say, hey, look, you know, and I can see this playing out in schools. I can see this playing out in, in uh, uh, perhaps at work or, or you know, other human relations. There's, there's all, all sorts of ways this can happen. Maybe you need to take another person and say, hey, look, the way you're acting toward us is not good. You know, but we want you to come toward us. We want you to be healed of that. We want you to give that up. We don't want you to stay there. So we're not going to tell you about this just to make you feel bad. We're telling you about this so it can be fixed because we care. That's why you do it. You love, right? So this is what the the second reading is talking about, is that the the adherence of the law is an act of love. The the admonishing the sinner, letting them know that they've, they've fallen off the path, is an act of love. But then Jesus is even aware that sometimes that doesn't work either. So then what do you do? Well, then you have to protect yourself. So if you've got people at school or at work who are toxic, and unfortunately, even in your family, you know, people who are just really toxic, sometimes you have to create a distance to protect yourself because people don't deserve to be mistreated. And it's important to recognize that even God sees that. There are times we have to say, enough's enough. I've done what I can do. Now I need to create some distance. Now, what do you do if it's your husband <laughs> or your wife? You know, um, you know, you're in these relationships and there's only, you, there's only so much distance you can create that is actually healthy, 
right? Because becoming passive aggressive and, and the rest is not healthy. It's not a healthy way to deal with it. Well, clearly you address the issue, you be appropriately assertive with the issue, and then you have to leave it to them to decide how they're going to deal with it. And I think the, especially in these closer relationships, the distance is not necessarily going to be a distance from that person because they're right there, but for the, for the person themselves, a certain letting go, right? I mean, maybe your husband is only capable of going so far at this time in their lives. Every single one of us is that. We're only capable of sort of moving the needle so much. Sometimes we're really capable and other times we, we don't have the capacity but it's still incumbent upon us to bring up the issue. Now, I've seen in in marriages, because I'm an expert on marriage, (laughs) that is a joke, Um, but this happens in all relationships. Relationships are kind of all put together the same, that if things are not addressed, even little things, they don't get addressed, those little stones over time create a wall. All right, so it's always good for us to confront these issues that might be uncomfortable. One last example, parents of adult children, and your adult children are a mess, <laughs> whatever that is, right? The babies aren't baptized and they're not going to church and, and all the rest. What do you do with that? Well, it's important to remind them of the truth, that God loves them, and, you know, would like to see him on Sunday. But just like nobody likes a complainer, nobody really likes somebody to keep nagging them. So parents, it's enough to to maybe bring it up a couple of times, they know where you stand, and then maintain the relationship. Maintain the relationship, because if you just become a thorn in their side, you'll lose the relationship, and then that's no good. You speak the truth, and then you let them live with the truth, which is a good way for all of this to be. You speak the truth as you see it, and then you let them decide. You let them live in their freedom. And then you have to let it go and allow the relationship to still flourish. I think of uh, St. Monica as a a really good example if if you're a parent in this situation. Uh, St. Monica was the mother of Augustine, who was a complete wreck of a human being, morally. He was. Read up on it. Not going to tell you now because it's bad. Not good. There's no way that guy would have gotten in the priesthood today. Not good. And she was a Christian, so she was praying and praying. He wasn't baptized yet. Praying and praying and praying for him. And she wasn't the one who ultimately had the biggest impact. Well, we would say God's grace, her prayers, her intercession, certainly that had an impact. But it was ultimately Anselm, St. Anselm. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. St. Ambrose, I got that wrong. St. Ambrose of Milan, who had the biggest impact on Augustine. Ambrose brought him into the church and converted him. So parents, it might be somebody else who is the one who makes the difference in your children's lives. So not only pray for them and encourage them, invite them to come to church, but pray that somebody else has the impact that perhaps you're not able to have. So the gospel has for us at times these these really important dynamics of, of, you know, relationship and engagement. We do wrong each other. 
And again, ideally we see it, we apologize, and we move forward. We just move on, right? That's what we do because we love each other. But sometimes that offense is perhaps too great or the person won't acknowledge it, and so we need to address it directly. That's what the Lord expects of us. There's a, there's a command that we do it, and we do it in love, we do it charitably, and then we let them be with it. They have to choose. Are they going to repent? Are they going to reconcile? Or what are they going to do with it? It's in their court then. We've done our duty, and then we've given it to them. And ideally, there's a healing. But if there's not a healing, it's okay to create a boundary to be healthy, to keep ourselves healthy. Please stand.